We are privileged to have the lead pastor of New Life OSU with us today, Ed Travers. He's been with us all weekend, and you will be blessed by what he shares today. We're going to take a break, kind of, from 1 Corinthians. What he's going to share is going to go right along with this idea, especially the last couple weeks as we've talked about what is the main thing. And I think you'll be challenged by that. Ed and his wife, Tammy, have two little girls. And uh, I was shocked last night. I was telling Ed I was so shocked. He said he was, last night he said he was 40. He does not look 40 to me. Um, now, everybody and most people in my life these days are looking younger. But Ed looks really young. So that's why he works with college students, because he fits right in. He's got kind of that, one of them college faces. I don't know what that means. Anyway, young faces. And uh, they are just doing a great work. God is doing some great things on the campus of the Ohio State University. And he's going to tell you a little bit about what God's been doing lately. And uh, we're just really grateful to have him with us this morning. Let's welcome Ed Travers. Man, I like Brian more and more all the time. <laughs> I am 40. It's true. I, uh, man, I, I'm just, I'm so grateful to be here this weekend. This, uh, I've, I've been uh, blessed to have the opportunity to go out and speak at different churches over the last several years. But being a guest here is different because this was home for so long. So it really just feels like I'm coming home. And so I'm, I'm just having a great time here this weekend. Um, I used to be just like you, sitting here every Sunday and serving this church. Uh, I got to be a part of some great ministries here at New Life. My, the first thing I think I ever got involved in was Awana. And so I did Awana for a couple years. And now those students are, you know, like college age. So that's, that's kind of weird for me. Um, we did a ministry here. Uh, I got to serve along with a couple of great guys. One of the guys I served with um, in this ministry is a gentleman named Ken Dillman, which went on to plant a church down the short north. And we did a ministry called 101, which was an introduction to Christianity. We did that for several years. Uh, I co-led a Bible study here and eventually got to uh, start a ministry here for collegiate-age people called Oasis, which we did for several years. And man, that, it was just incredible. So for me, you know, this is just home, and uh, I'm so grateful to be here. Um, I am uh, uh, now the lead pastor at New Life OSU, which, here's the thing. You might think, you know, God is not working at OSU, but you're wrong. You know, I remember when we started the church, uh, we started really as one Bible study back in 2002, if you remember that, Jason and Bree, and uh, it now, we now have 19 Bible studies all throughout campus. Uh, the church has grown. We're reaching more students than we've ever reached. We have students that are now going out on mission trips all over the world. We had a team just get back from Mexico. We have a team heading out to Peru and a team going to Jordan. Uh, we have our first two full-time missionaries that have left our body. Um, one is now in Jordan, has been there for over a year serving, and one getting ready to be in India, I think starting next month, for two years. And uh, it's, it's exciting. A, a church plant is kind of bubbling up in our midst, and we're going to plant at the University of Pittsburgh, and that'll be in the fall of 2012. Um, we have the opportunity, possibly, to start some Bible studies at Otterbein. And so it, it's incredible what God is doing. And I remember a, a, a girl who I knew who went to Ohio State said to me before we were getting ready to plant, she says, Ed, don't you know college students don't want Jesus? And I said, we're going anyway. So I can honestly tell you that she was wrong, that uh, God is up to some amazing things. And on behalf of myself and the staff, let me just say thank you to you. You may not realize it, but um, you know, you're a big part of what we do there. With, with the support, you know, your church is the biggest financial support of what we do. But more importantly, your pastors guide and give wisdom and emotionally support and pray with me on a regular basis. And I just want to say thank you guys for being such a big support. It's a big deal to me. Um, I am 40. 
I, I know I don't look it, but I've been married for almost 14 years and uh, this summer, and I have two little girls, like Brian was telling you, and <clears throat> sometimes my wife thinks I'm crazy. I, I'm not sure that we see it the same way, but uh, I'll give you an instance or a circumstance which, which might explain this, but we live up in Worthington in a condo, and we have a deck on the back of our condo, and on the deck there sits, um, or there was sitting a gas grill. The gas grill was over 10 years old, and it was kind of rotting, and I don't, I'm not very mechanical, so I don't know how to fix all the stuff that was rotting out of it, and, and frankly, you know, when you open it up about the size of a baseball, there's this gray honeycomb-looking thing, which I guess is a wasp nest, and uh, it, you know, my wife says, get rid of that thing. It's dangerous. I said, okay, all right, that's what I do. You know, I follow my wife's advice, so I, I go, and this was the plan. I'm going to get it, I'm going to wheel it over, I'm going to take it off the deck, lift it down, take it on the grass, and wheel it across the grass till I get to there's a bulk pickup area. And it was going fine. Everything was fine up to a point. I, I grab the thing, and I'm wheeling it to here, I'm almost to here, and here's what happened. I go to lift it off, and a wasp comes out and shoots right at my face. And so I dropped, you know, I dropped the grill. I, I might have squealed like a girl, I don't know, but <laughs> it fell, and all the stuff came out. Like all the charcoal-looking stuff, and it, it all comes out, and that little nest comes out. And as soon as it comes out, boom, like a little tornado comes out. I don't know how many there were, maybe 15 or 20 of these wasps floating around. And so I ran. And I didn't run back into the house. That's a dumb idea, right? Killer wasps will follow you. So I ran this way, and I ran you know, all the way around the building, back into the house. And I'm like, and Tammy's like, what? And so I run to the window, and like we're looking, and you could see them guys just floating around there. And they, I think they were really disoriented because they were like going down and up, like kept trying to figure out where the house was. And, you know, and then they would come up, and there were things. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And you know, she's like, what are you going to do? I'm like, I don't know what to do. And I'm thinking, what do you, what do you do in this situation? I don't know. What would you do? And so, I, so I did what any reasonable person would do. I did, did what you would do. I went in my basement and I grabbed two tennis rackets. Oh. <laughs> I come upstairs and my wife says, you're not going out there. I said, I got to do something. There are kids that play out there. And she goes, and she shuts the blinds. I said, what are you doing that for? She goes, because I don't want to tell the insurance people I saw it. I'm like, <laughs> all right. A lot of confidence in that. So I go out around the building, and as I'm kind of inching my way up, I'm watching them, and I can see them. I look over in the window, and my neighbor's looking at me like, I go, you know. Like, and I'm thinking, please, God, you know. I, I'm like, I wonder if this is what David felt like. Anyway, so I've got my two tennis. I'm thinking, you block with one, protect the face, and then you swing with the other. That's what you're going to do. So, you know, I'm not a great tennis player, but this, you know, I've seen it on TV. So I, I go... And I could see one, there were some that were like, there were a bunch that were near the nest. And then they would go up and they would fly around, you know. And you could see them flying around because they were big, you know. And this one comes right at me. And I'm thinking, oh, it's on. All right. And I whacked that sucker. And it went flying. And I'm like, that's not so bad. And then like another one came out and whack and whack. And I'm doing backhands. And I'm, like, I just, I knocked them silly, man. I, all of them. Every stinking wasp. I killed them all. My wife thinks I'm crazy. Um, but by the way, side note, I need to express to you that New Life Gehanna does not condemn nor condone the use of tennis rackets in dealing with uh, poisonous or dangerous insects. So that said, yeah. I don't know what's reasonable, right? I mean, I was thinking about that story when I was thinking about this message because we all respond, you know, to, to something. Even to not respond to the wasp would be a response, wouldn't it? The question is, what is the response? What is reasonable? 
And, and I was thinking about that because I was thinking about the message. And, you know, I talked a lot with Steve over the last couple of years about what's going on in him and what's going on in the body here at New Life Gehenna. And I love the idea of the main thing, you know, and how that's emerging, not only in Steve, but in the body all, all over the place. I love that piece that you guys put together um, that, and that you distributed. I don't know if you guys are part of distributing that in the communities here around Gehenna, or maybe you're here because you actually got one of those pieces but it literally was littered with the best uh, presentation of the gospel I think I've ever seen, and just beautiful peace. And, um, you know, I'm just amazed by that. The question is, is the gospel really that beautiful? That God Almighty made us for his glory, to be in relationship with him, and, and we have broken that by being sinners. We all know that. And we're separated. And he sends his son down to die on a cross to pay the penalty for all of sin. Then he rises again. Now he's alive and can draw us into and reconcile us to the Father, this relationship. That is amazing. And the question is, though, what is a reasonable response to that? If it is true that the gospel really is the main thing and the most important thing in all of creation, in all of our lives, what is a reasonable response to that? And I think the scripture holds a couple keys. And in this particular passage we're going to look at this morning in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, I really believe it's going to help us understand what a reasonable response to the gospel is. So if you have a Bible, kind of open it up to Romans chapter 12, or you can look at your notes. But before I go there, let me just pray for us so that uh, you're not too distracted by me or by stories of wasps and that kind of stuff. Lord, I just thank you that um, you've been working in our midst the last two services, and I have to believe, God, that you're going to do the same in this one. Um, And I pray that at some point that everyone would forget that there's someone communicating to them except to hear your voice, God, that your Holy Spirit would be here and that you would help us respond to you and what you want for us. God, I trust in you and I trust in that. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Well, what we're going to look at in Romans chapter 12 is a beautiful letter. And the church at Rome was founded in the heart of the Roman Empire, and Paul was writing a letter to that church. And here's the thing with the church, that when they were founded, it was a highly Jewish uh, converted church. I mean, they, they were mostly Jews who become Christians. And now, it, because there's some circumstances, they've been kind of forced out of Rome, they were highly Gentile believers now. Well, the problem is that, you know, with, with people growing up in different ways, whether you grew up in, you know, a highly religious home or you grew up in a pagan home, it caused a lot of tension when it came to understanding the gospel. And so the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans really are a beautiful picture of the gospel. And it lays out, it starts about, the, you know, the, how the creation of God, the heavens declare the glory of God. And then it talks about us being sinners and we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And yet the answer to that is Christ, that he sent his son to be the one to set us free from the law of sin and death, and we now could be made righteous in Christ. And it's all based on our faith in that gift of God and who he is. If you look at the first 11 chapters, you're going to see the beauty of the gospel. And a couple weeks ago, that's what Steve talked about, right? The main thing, the gospel And then last week, he spoke about the resurrection. And the beauty of the resurrection is, without the resurrection, there is no good news of the gospel. That's why they go hand in hand. And I just want to say a couple things from these two verses that I think are going to help us understand what a reasonable response is to that truth. And the first one is this, that you and I, 
We must recognize the mercy of God. You and I must recognize the mercy of God. Let's listen as I read along these two verses to you. In chapter 12, verse 1, it says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, I want to focus on this first phrase here. It says, therefore... Almost as if he's saying, listen, in light of the last 11 chapters, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy, where is God's mercy more on display than the gospel? Listen to this verse. In Colossians chapter 1, it says this about the gospel. Verse 21, it says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior... But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through the death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Where is the beauty and the mercy of God best on display? The gospel. And I don't want to assume that you recognize the gospel. Because it's possible that if you've grown up in America, you've definitely heard of the message of the gospel. But you could actually acknowledge it to be true and not recognize it for yourself. It's really easy to say, oh yeah, I believe that. Sure. Oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I believe that. And to have never actually personalized it and realized that to, to understand the mercy of God is to realize that you yourself need mercy. God is a holy and righteous God, and we are not holy and righteous in and of ourselves. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And if you look at your life and take an honest look, here's what you're going to have to realize. You are not holy, and therefore, you do not deserve God. That's the beauty of recognize it. When you look at it and you go, oh my gosh, God has sent his son, and he died to pay the penalty for me. I can be in right relationship with the Father. And in a, in a room like this, I'm having, I have to assume that a lot of you guys have already made that decision. You have, you've looked at the gospel, you recognize Jesus for who he is, and the cross for what it stands for, and you went, yes, I'll give you my life, God. But I also have to assume there are many people in the room who have never actually made that decision. You've never said yes to Jesus. And for you, can I just say before we move on, for you in the room like that, you, you really don't need to move on with me in the next couple things I want to share. You need to just dwell on that. Have I received Christ? Have I chosen him to be my Lord? And maybe you should just dwell on that and think about that for a little bit. But if, if, you're, you know, if you're like me, you've already made that decision, let me say the next thing i want to share from this passage is this is that there is a reasonable response to the gospel these next couple phrases i think really help you to understand that i urge you brothers in view of god's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to god to offer your body as 
a living sacrifice. It's another way of saying, I belong to God. I'm going to give up my life, and I'm actually going to say, okay, God, I belong to you now. That's what the phrase means, and that you're going to live out a life where you're basically a servant to God. Offer your life. It's that simple. The next phrase says this. This is your spiritual act of worship. In the King James, it actually says, this is your reasonable service. So bluntly and very simply, it means this, to look at the gospel and to recognize the mercy of God, the very simple and very reasonable response would be for you and I to lay our lives completely down as to be servants of God. That's what's reasonable. And maybe you're thinking, okay, Ed, well, I hear that and I hear that and I understand that, but does Jesus ever say anything like that? Ah, yeah, actually he does. So turn to Romans 14. I want to share a passage with you from Romans 14. Now, let me give you the setting. Jesus has come on the scene. He's got his 12 disciples. He's been doing some miracles, and he's gained a following. Now, at this point, you know, if you're Peter in the gang, you're probably thinking, okay, we're going to establish the kingdom. Jesus is going to be the head. You know, we've got a crowd going. And, you know, look at what Jesus says. And imagine you're in Peter's shoes just for a second. Here's what it says. In chapter 14 of Luke, verse 25, it says this, Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, if you're Peter, how do you spin that? You know, you got this huge crowd coming, and Jesus looks at the crowds and says, uh, actually, unless I am more important to you, unless you love me more than everyone else, to, and even love me more than your own life, you really can't be my disciple. Now, listen, it's a, it's a very difficult passage to digest. I've done a ton of reading on it. I have read a lot of commentaries. I've talked to a lot of people about it. Here's the best thing I can give you as to what that verse means. When you love Jesus, when he is your first love, it's going to look like hate to those you love most. If you love Jesus above all else, it might look like hate to those who you love. I'll give you an example of this. I have a guy in our congregation down at OSU um, named Jimmy. Jimmy grew up in a very churched home. And the type of church he grew up in was one where you, you, know, you get baptized as a baby, you do your sacraments, and you do everything that you're obligated to do, and then you're cool with God. You know, just, just keep it right, don't, don't make God mad, and do your stuff, and you're cool with God. And his dad was a very staunch supporter of this church. Well, Jimmy was from New Orleans, moves up here to Columbus and goes to you know, school here at Ohio State. He runs into some guys that are just like Jesus freaks. They love the Lord. And they get in his life and they start discipling him. And something starts to awaken inside Jimmy. You know, He just starts to come alive in Christ. He realizes who God is. And he starts to make decisions like, I'm going to live for you, Jesus. I'm going to lay my life down. And he's just, just amazing. One night I was preaching a sermon back in the spring of last year, and, and the sermon was about how Jesus said to us that if we acknowledge him before men, then he will acknowledge us before his Father in heaven. And I was talking about the importance of that. So he comes to me and says, Ed, I think I want to get baptized. I said, okay, tell me your story, because I wanted to make sure he, he had accepted Christ, he understood, I'm talking with him. And he goes, the only thing is, Ed, I know that my dad is not going to be happy with this. I said, okay. I said, you know, Jimmy... Um, in the culture, in the first century, if you got baptized in Jerusalem, everyone would have known about it. And so I'm probably going to have to ask you that it, you're going to have to at least invite your dad to come. 
And he goes, I had a feeling it's what you're going to say, Ed. I said, that's true. He goes, my dad's not going to be happy. I said, I understand that. I said, just invite him. He doesn't have to come. Just invite him. Okay. He goes home for the summer, and uh, he prayed about it, and he's like, okay, this is definitely what I'm going to do. And he sat down with his dad, and he said, Dad, I've accepted Christ within my life, my own decision, and uh, I want to get baptized, and I want you to come. His dad got really angry. His dad looked at his son and said, I want you out of my house. He looked at his wife and said, it's your fault. It's your fault this is happening. The family then is now going through this huge scramble of torrent in their life. Jimmy finds a picture that his dad used to carry of of his dad and Jimmy ripped up in front of his door. Family members are starting to take sides now. Jimmy calls me and he's like, this is what's happening. And I'm thinking, I mean, uh, I have to believe what I preach, right? I mean, what am I supposed to say to this kid? Great kid. I said, Jimmy, here's the deal. I'm proud of you. I think you did the right thing. He goes, oh, no, no, no. I think I did the right thing. I had complete peace in the Lord and telling my dad. That's not the issue. I just don't want to be the one that causes my whole family to crumble. I'm like, oh, Jimmy, Jimmy. You see, when someone falls in love with Jesus and he becomes their first love, it actually could look like hate to people outside of that, people that you even love. It could look like hate. Let me give you some good news. A lot of people were praying for that family. Families in counseling, they both, mom and dad were both at Jimmy's baptism. They flew up from New Orleans and they supported him. And, uh, you know, it's, it's incredible to watch that. But the truth is that if you love Jesus, sometimes it's going to come in conflict with those you love most. Jesus goes on to say here in verse 27, says, And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Look at Jesus' idea of what it means to respond reasonably to what his message is. He goes on in the next couple verses, says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. Both stories are told from Jesus, meaning the exact same thing. You need to count the cost. If you and I were in a situation where we got a loan to build a house and we sat down with the builder and we started the building process and six months in, the builder comes back and says, listen, we've got some problems. We cannot build for that amount. You need a lot more money to build. You and I would have to decide if it's worth continuing. We know what it means to count the cost. And what Jesus is saying is, are you willing to count the cost? Because a reasonable response to what my message is maybe isn't what you think it is. And here's what he says, just for emphasis in verse 33. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. I I think that... We have to view the mercy of God. And in light of the mercy of God and realizing the beauty of the gospel, a reasonable response for you and I is that we would lay our lives completely down as servants of God. And maybe you say, all right, Ed, but what does that look like? All right? I want to wrap my mind around this, but what does that look like? Let me just give you a couple examples, okay? I've got a guy in our midst. His name is Kevin. He's a senior at Ohio State. Great kid. Grew up in Christ, 
His parents are wonderful believers, and they, uh, they raised him uh, highly educated. They both are, you know, they work at Ohio State, and they're providing for him to go to college. He goes to Ohio State, finds some young guys that just love the Lord, and, man, he just starts to blossom. By the time he's a junior in college, he's leading Bible studies on the campus. All the while, probably the smartest student I've ever come across at Ohio State finishes the very top of his program. He's getting ready to graduate, and he's going to go on to grad school. One of the things in his field, um, MIT and Berkeley are both fighting to get him into their program. So he's finishing at the very top. Well, in the midst of doing all of this and serving and discipling young guys and teaching the Bible on campus, he decided he's going to go serve at something called the Stowe Baptist Center. And down there, many of you guys have probably been supportive of you know, their, their, their outreach to homeless. Well, they also have a tutoring program. And so Kevin decided that you know, with his intellect and the ability God's given him, he could help kids learn and still share love of Christ with them. And so he's been doing that for a couple years, and he realizes God is opening up a door for him. And so he prayed, God, give me opportunities. Well, so they, he got a phone call, and this opportunity came up where he could do something called Teach for America, Now, I'm not that familiar with the program, but basically it's like this. They take young guys and girls who are graduates, and they take them into inner city schools and literally help these young guys teach and train and share the love of Christ with students. He's got this opportunity to do this. But at the same time, grad school. So he's praying about it and saying, God, okay, I know I'm going to go to grad school. You've made that clear to me, but this opportunity is right here in front of me. What am I supposed to do? And God opened up the doors. So can you imagine your Kevin going back to your parents saying, listen, uh, mom, dad, thanks for supporting me, um, but I'm positive that I'm going to do this Teach for America thing. Can you imagine? He called the programs and met with them. They're both willing to give a deferment for an entire year for him to do Teach for America. That's not it. You see, he doesn't have to go to Teach for America until July. So he's going to graduate in early June. And then so he's got most of June off. Well, here's the thing. Kevin also went to Peru last summer. In Peru, we're partnered with another church that went to Peru where there's this village that up until a year and a half ago, no one had ever shared the gospel in the village. They now have their first set of believers. Kevin went last year to Peru and got to, you know, share with some of those people there in the village. Well, it turns out this summer, they're going to actually open up two more villages. And Kevin's like, oh my gosh, I could go. I don't have anything going on in June. I could do that. And I'm thinking, you don't want to take a break or something, all this hard work? No, I, I got an opportunity to go to Peru. The only problem is they leave on graduation day. So can you imagine going back to mom and dad who are, work for Ohio State and put you through school to Ohio State and saying, mom, dad, I know you want to be there and be proud. And I'm so, I love you, mom and dad. It's just that God opened up an opportunity for me to go back to Peru as well. And uh, they leave on graduate. Can you imagine that? Here's my point. He has put his life on the line for the gospel, and he's, he's just a servant. So anytime God opens up an opportunity, he just wants to be a servant. There was a, a person in my life when I was just a kid, a, a neighborhood a lady who had a son who was about my age, and I used to always hang out with him. We'd go to his house. You know what? The mom would always bake cookies. I think she did it as a trap because when we would eat her cookies, she would tell us about Jesus <laughs> all the time. There's a gentleman who I met in this body years ago, Many of you are not going to remember this name, but his name was Dick Dean. And uh, I, when I first started serving in Awana, I really didn't know what I was doing. And I thought, I'll just look for a guy who's been around who knows what he's doing, and I'll just do what he does. And so I found Dick Dean. And I'm like, okay, I, I learned from Dick. And uh, this is what I found out about Dick. Now, Dick was a World War II veteran, kind of in his last quarter of life, okay? And this is what I found out about Dick. Dick served in Awana and did a great job sharing the gospel with those kids and helping them learn their verses. 
He was working with the retirement community, working out with guys, exercising and sharing the gospel with them and teaching them about the Bible. He was going to the prison on a regular basis, leading services there for inmates. He also, by the way, was taking tracks down to Ohio State during football games and sharing the gospel with the people and the masses down there. And this is what I learned. People who are affected by the gospel look like they've laid their life down as servants of the gospel. And I don't know where you're at. I don't know you personally. I don't know what it looks like, but I can tell you it starts with the idea that I don't belong to myself. We have to believe that. That's the third thing I just want to share with you guys and and close with this last point is that you and I, we have to believe this. And everyone knows what you believe right now. If you're a huge Ohio State fan, trust me, everyone knows it. You know, if you're young in this room and you found your first love, everyone knows you're in love. You don't have to tell them they already know. If you're all about your lawn, trust me, everyone knows that you like your lawn. I mean, it's, they know what you're about. But what's a reasonable response to the gospel? And do we actually believe it? Here's what the next phrase states in Romans 12. I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You know, what it's saying there is this, very simply put, that you and I should not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. Do you know what the pattern of the world is? The pattern of the world is it's all about you. It's all about me. It's a man-centered world. We can even have that line of thinking and try to, try to adopt the gospel into that line of thinking. As if that we're going to live our life any way we want and we're going to hope that God will just bless our life. I mean, you could, you could read books like Your Best Life Now that it's all about you and we can adopt that. That's, that's a man-centered way of thinking. But to be transformed by the renewing of your mind to the truth is that the world is God-centered. Everything revolves around him. We're just a little late on catching up to that. And we need to understand that the center of the gospel, the main thing, is God. And we have to change our mind about that. There's a, another verse I just want to read to you in 2 Corinthians 5, uh, verse 14. And listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 14. It says, for Christ's love compels us. Doesn't that sound familiar to you? Like, I urge you, brothers, in view of the mercy of God. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. The point is that we must believe the gospel. If we recognize the mercy of God, the reasonable response is that we lay down our life and we must believe that. Guys, I, I can honestly tell you that I started to fall in love with Jesus when I was about 20. And, you know, I had known from the time I was a little kid, you know, I'd, I'd known the gospel. I was, you know, my grandpa used to teach a Bible study, and I learned a lot about the Word of God. But about the time I was 20, through some incredible circumstances, I started to fall in love with Jesus. And I'm, I kind of thought, you know, I would live my life, and that God would just bless my life, and I would just kind of stay under the radar, you know? Don't do anything really you know, it's going to get God's attention in a negative way. 
serve when I can, be generous, share the gospel. I mean, that, that's going to be my life, and he'll just bless my life. At the same time, my brother moved in with me. I needed a roommate, and my brother, who's a year older than I, moved in with me. And I thought, this is going to be great. You know, I love my brother. He's the closest guy in the world to me. And when he showed up, I started to notice something about my brother. You see, he liked to party every Friday and Saturday night. Now, from where I grew up and the kind of people I grew up around, that was completely normal. And I thought, okay, well, you know, he likes to party on Friday and Saturday. Okay, that's normal. But then on like Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, it became evident to me this guy was getting hammered every night of the week, whether he was out with friends or sitting home alone. And finally, after conversations, he finally admitted to me, he said, listen, I just can't stop. I do have a problem. So over the course of about three years we lived together, here's what I did. I just got as many guys over to my house as possible and started having Bible studies at my house. So I figured I'll just surround him with Jesus. You know, I'll have people praying for him. You know, I'll talk to him. And, you know, sometimes he would, he would open up to me and sometimes he wouldn't. It just depends on the day. And I prayed for him and I prayed for him and I prayed for him. And none of it worked. At the end of three years, hammered, he comes to me and says, I'm moving out. I'm moving in with my buddies. I mean, I was absolutely devastated by that. I was so hopeless. And so we moved. And so for three years, we lived apart from each other. And, you know, he found a girl and got married. I found, you know, my wife Tammy, and we got married. And during that time, you know, he's like, I would pray for him. And I would say, God, are you ever going to answer? And sometimes I would pray and say, you know, all right, God, you know, do your thing. Or, God, are you ever going to do anything? I'm just Sometimes I would just quit. And out of the blue, he calls me. He says, Eddie, I need you to come over and talk to me. And so I came over and said, I'm like, all right, what do, you, what do you want to talk about? And so I sit down on his couch and he explains to me how he gave his life to Christ. Apart from anything I had done, through some incredible circumstances, he realized that he was either going to die, lose his family, or he was going to give his life to Christ. And he said, literally, in prayer, he felt the hand of God on his shoulder saying, take my hand. Now, James would have acknowledged the gospel, but that's the day he took Jesus' hand for himself. And I saw something different in his face. Like, I had seen him during all that time. You know, over 10 years, this guy was an alcoholic. And he just looked just clouded. This is the first time I had seen him bright-eyed. I'm like, what happened? He said, listen, Ed, I have a Bible in every room in the house, even the bathroom. I'm reading it all the time. (laughs) At this point, he had been clean for like three months. You know what? I couldn't say anything. I went home and I I went and my wife was sitting in a chair and she's like, what happened? And I I tried to get the words out of my mouth. All I could do, I collapsed onto my knees and I put my head in her lap like a little kid just bawled my eyes out. I couldn't say anything. All those years of prayers and hopes and, 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 you know, giving up. I mean, everything I had prayed, I sat there and just bawled my eyes out on my wife's lap. I've had the privilege of watching my brother grow in Christ for the last, I don't know, it's been almost 14 years now. I've watched him lead Bible studies, recovery groups, serve as deacon in his church. I've watched just amazing stuff happen in this guy's life. But that day was epic in my life. Because for the first time, I saw the power of the gospel. I knew what it had done in my life, but I I just didn't believe my brother could be saved. There is nobody that is hopeless. Nobody that's too far from the reach of God. And I'm sitting there that day praying and something in me broke. And this is what came out. I was done living my life, my trajectory, and I hope God blesses it. 
And I said, God, I will do whatever you say. You say jump, I'll just simply say how high. I'll do whatever you want. That's what I want to be, whatever you want. You want me to push a broom? I will push a broom. Do, I, I, just say, I'll do it. That's all I want. You know, one of the first things that happened after I kind of was sitting there with God and that moment happened, Mike Jans, the guy who still comes here to New Life Kahana, he said, hey, I need someone to take over for me in Awana. And I said, seriously, God, Awana? I'm like, you said you'd do anything. All right, <laughs> Awana it is, you know, two years in Awana. Listen, I'm sharing this with you for a couple of reasons. One, I want to encourage you. You know, if you're sitting here and you've never made that decision, you've understood the gospel, but you've never taken his hand, why not now? I mean, do you recognize it? God's a holy God. He wants to be in relationship with you. You were made for him anyway. He's simply trying to bring you back to him. That's what the cross stands for. No one is too far from the reach of God. If you're in the room and you've never made that decision, why not take his hand? Why not today? Maybe if you're like me and, and you, know, you were like that 20-year-old me, that you had understood the gospel, but you've never actually said to God, okay, God, you say jump, I say how high. I'll leverage my life for you. It's reasonable. I don't know that I would have verbalized it like that back then, but that's what was going on in my heart, was to simply say, God, I will serve you wherever you want, pushing brooms or whatever. If you're like me, have you ever done that in your life where you said, okay, God, yeah. Or maybe you're more like I am now where, all right, God, I'm your servant, but sometimes I just get distracted and fixated on the wrong things. And maybe for us today, it's an encouragement to say, okay, God, I'm your ambassador. On your behalf, I'm going to live for your gospel. Help keep my eyes fixated on you and your kingship over my life. Wherever you're at, I just want to encourage you to pray right now. I'm not going to embarrass you or ask you to do anything. I just want you to close your eyes and bow your heads around this room and pray with me. And no matter where you're at, you have to believe that God's going to hear your prayer right now. Just kind of close your eyes and bow your heads and pray with me. If you are in that group that has never made that decision, just simply tell him, God, I recognize I've been living my life for me and I am sorry and I'm turning away from that, God. Tell him you recognize the cross, you recognize what it stands for and you believe in the resurrection and you want to give him your life. Ask him for help to come into your life and be your leader. And you want to be a follower of his. For many others in this room, hopefully today can be that day you don't need an epic moment where you can simply recognize the power of the gospel and say, God, I belong to you. If that's where you're at, just tell him, God, I belong to you. You write the steps. Lord, help us all in this room to take steps with you today, whether it's first steps. And God, I pray for those that you would encourage them. You put other strong believers around their life to help them grow. Or whether it's steps where for the first time they're saying, this can't be my life. I've got to give it up for you. 
God, have other strong believers in their life to help them walk through that. And for still others in this room, God, help us to be ambassadors on your behalf that every day would be lived out, fixated on your gospel and the mercy of God. Lord, I love you and I praise you and I have to believe you are working in this body. And I thank you so much for your son and for all that he stands for. In his holy name, amen.